Part two of Plessy versus Ferguson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kelly Robinson in Birmingham, Alabama. Plessy versus Ferguson. An opinion of the United States Supreme Court. Decided on May 18, 1896. Please note, Part 2 is a reading of Justice Harlan's dissent. For ease of listening, this reading omits legal citations and footnotes found within the text of the opinion. Mr. Justice Harlan, dissenting. By the Louisiana statute, the validity of which is here involved, all railway companies other than street railroad companies carrying passengers in that state are required to have separate but equal accommodations for white and colored persons by providing two or more passenger coaches for each passenger train or by dividing the passenger coaches by a partition so as to secure separate accommodations under this statute no colored person is permitted to occupy a seat in a coach assigned to white persons nor any white person to occupy a seat in a coach assigned to colored persons the managers of the railroad are not allowed to exercise any discretion in the premises, but are required to assign each passenger to some coach or compartment set apart for the exclusive use of his race. If a passenger insists upon going into a coach or compartment not set apart for persons of his race, he is subject to be fined or to be imprisoned in the parish jail. Penalties are prescribed for the refusal or neglect of the officers, directors, conductors, and employees of railroad companies to comply with the provisions of the act only nurses attending children of the other race are accepted from the operation of the statute no exception is made of colored attendants traveling with adults a white man is not permitted to have his colored servant with him in the same coach even if his condition of health requires the constant personal assistance of such servant if a colored maid insists upon riding in the same coach with a white woman whom she has been employed to serve, and who may need her personal attention while traveling, she is subject to be fined or imprisoned for such an exhibition of zeal in the discharge of duty. While there may be in Louisiana persons of different races who are not citizens of the United States, the words in the act, white and colored races, necessarily include all citizens of the United States, of both races residing in that state, so that we have before us a state enactment that compels under penalties the separation of the two races in railroad passenger coaches and makes it a crime for a citizen of either race to enter a coach that has been assigned to citizens of the other race thus the state regulates the use of public highway by citizens of the united states solely upon the basis of race however apparent the injustice of such legislation may be we have only to consider whether it is consistent with the constitution of the united states that a railroad is a public highway and that the corporation which owns or operates it is in the exercise of public functions is not at this day to be disputed mr justice nelson speaking for this court in new jersey steam navigation company versus merchants bank said that a common carrier was in the exercise of a sort of public office and has public duties to perform from which he should not be permitted to exonerate himself without the assent of the parties concerned. Mr. Justice Strong, delivering the judgment of this court in Alcott v. Supervisors, said, 
that railroads, though constructed by private corporations and owned by them, are public highways, has been the doctrine of nearly all the courts ever since such conveyances for passage and transportation have had any existence. Very early, the question arose whether a state's right of eminent domain could be exercised by a private corporation created for the purpose of constructing a railroad. Clearly, it could not, unless taking land for such a purpose by such an agency is taking land for public use. The right of eminent domain nowhere justifies taking property for a private use. Yet, it is a doctrine universally accepted that a state legislature may authorize a private corporation to take land for the construction of such a road, making compensation to the owner. What else does this doctrine mean if not that building a railroad, though it be built by a private corporation, is an act done for a public use? So, in Township of Pine Grove versus Talcott, though the corporation, a railroad company, was private, its work was public, as much so as if it were to be constructed by the state. So, in Inhabitants of Worcester versus Western Railroad Corporation, the establishment of that great thoroughfare is regarded as a public work, established by public authority, intended for the public use and benefit, the use of which is secured to the whole community, and constitutes, therefore, like a canal, turnpike, or highway, a public easement. It is true that the real and personal property necessary to the establishment and management of the railroad is vested in the corporation, but it is in trust for the public. In respect of civil rights common to all citizens, the Constitution of the United States does not, I think, permit any public authority to know the race of those entitled to be protected in the enjoyment of such rights. Every true man has pride of race, and under appropriate circumstances, when the rights of others, his equals, before the law, are not to be affected, it is his privilege to express such pride and to take such action based upon it as to him seems proper. But I deny that any legislative body or judicial tribunal may have regard to the race of citizens when the civil rights of those citizens are involved. Indeed, such legislation as that here in question is inconsistent not only with that equality of rights which pertains to citizenship, national and state, but with the personal liberty enjoyed by everyone within the United States. Thirteenth Amendment does not permit the withholding or the deprivation of any right necessarily inhering in freedom. It not only struck down the institution of slavery, as previously existing in the United States, but it prevents the imposition of any burdens or disabilities that constitute badges of slavery or servitude. It decreed universal civil freedom in this country. This court has so adjudged. But that amendment having been found inadequate to the protection of the rights of those who had been in slavery, it was followed by the 14th Amendment, which added greatly to the dignity and glory of American citizenship and to the security of personal liberty by declaring that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside, and that no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. 
These two amendments, if enforced according to their true intent and meaning, will protect all the civil rights that pertain to freedom and citizenship. Finally, and to the end, that no citizen should be denied, on account of his race, the privilege of participating in the political control of his country. It was declared by the 15th Amendment that the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. These notable additions to the fundamental law were welcomed by the Friends of Liberty throughout the world. They removed the race line from our governmental systems. They had, as this Court has said, a common purpose, namely to secure to a race recently emancipated, a race that through many generations have been held in slavery, all the civil rights that the superior race enjoy. They declared, in legal effect, this court has further said that the law in the states shall be the same for the black as for the white, that all persons, whether colored or white, shall stand equal before the laws of the states. And in regard to the colored race, for whose protection the amendment was primarily designated, that no discrimination shall be made against them by law because of their color. We also said, the words of the amendment, it is true, are prohibitory, but they contain a necessary implication of a positive immunity or right, most valuable to the colored race, the right to exemption from unfriendly legislation against them, distinctly as colored, exemption from legal discriminations implying inferiority in civil society, lessening the security of their enjoyment of the rights which others enjoy, and discriminations which are steps towards reducing them to the condition of a subject race. It was, consequently, adjudged that a state law that excluded citizens of the colored race from juries, because of their race, however well qualified in other respects to discharge the duties of jurymen, was repugnant to the 14th Amendment. At the present term, referring to the previous adjudications, this court declared that, underlying all of those decisions is the principle that the Constitution of the United States in its present form forbids, so far as civil and political rights are concerned, discrimination by the general government or the states against any citizen because of his race. All citizens are equal before the law. The decisions referred to show the scope of the recent amendments of the Constitution. They also show that it is not within the power of a state to prohibit colored persons because of their race from participating as jurors in the administration of justice. It was said in argument that the statute of Louisiana does not discriminate against either race, but prescribes a rule applicable alike to white and colored citizens. But this argument does not meet the difficulty. Everyone knows that the statute in question had its origin in the purpose, not so much to exclude white persons from railroad cars occupied by blacks, as to exclude colored people from coaches occupied by or assigned to white persons. Railroad corporations of Louisiana did not make discrimination among whites in the matter of accommodation for travelers. The thing to accomplish was, under the guise of giving equal accommodation for whites and blacks, to compel the latter to keep to themselves while traveling in railroad passenger coaches. No one would be so wanting in candor as to assert the contrary. 
The fundamental objection, therefore, to the statute is that it interferes with the personal freedom of citizens. Personal liberty, it has been well said, consists in the power of locomotion, of changing situation, or removing one's person to whatsoever places one's own inclination may direct, without imprisonment or restraint, unless by due course of law. If a white man and a black man choose to occupy the same public conveyance on a public highway, it is their right to do so, and no government, proceeding alone on grounds of race, can prevent it without infringing the personal liberty of each. It is one thing for railroad carriers to furnish, or to be required by law to furnish, equal accommodations for all whom they are under a legal duty to carry. It is quite another thing for government to forbid citizens of the white and black races from traveling in the same public conveyance, and to punish officers of railroad companies for permitting persons of the two races to occupy the same passenger coach. If a state can prescribe as a rule of civil conduct that whites and blacks shall not travel as passengers in the same railroad coach, why may it not so regulate the use of the streets of its cities and towns as to compel white citizens to keep on one side of a street and black citizens to keep on the other? Why may it not upon like grounds punish whites and blacks who ride together in street cars or in open vehicles on a public road or street? Why may it not require sheriffs to assign whites to one side of a courtroom and blacks to the other? And why may it not also prohibit the commingling of the two races in the galleries of legislative halls or in public assemblages convened for the consideration of the political questions of the day? Further, if this statute of Louisiana is consistent with the personal liberty of citizens, why may not the state require the separation in railroad coaches of native and naturalized citizens of the United States, or of Protestants and Roman Catholics? The answer given at the argument to these questions was that regulations of the kind they suggest would be unreasonable and could not, therefore, stand before the law. Is it meant that the determination of questions of legislative power depends upon the inquiry, whether the statute whose validity is questioned is, in the judgment of the courts, a reasonable one, taking all the circumstances into consideration? A statute may be unreasonable merely because a sound public policy forbade its enactment, but I do not understand that the courts have anything to do with the policy or expediency of legislation. A statute may be valid, and yet, upon grounds of public policy, may well be characterized as unreasonable. Mr. Sedgwick correctly states the rule when he says that the legislative intention being clearly ascertained, the courts have no other duty to perform than to execute the legislative will, without any regard to their views as to the wisdom or justice of the particular enactment. There is a dangerous tendency in these latter days to enlarge the functions of the courts by means of judicial interference with the will of the people as expressed by the legislature. Our institutions have the distinguishing characteristic that the three departments of government are coordinate and separate. Each must keep within the limits defined by the Constitution, and the courts best discharge their duty by executing the will of the law-making power, constitutionally expressed, leaving the results of legislation to be dealt with by the people through their representatives. Statutes must always have a reasonable construction. Sometimes they are to be construed strictly, sometimes literally, 
in order to carry out the legislative will. But, however construed, the intent of the legislature is to be respected if the particular statute in question is valid, although the courts, looking at the public interests, may conceive the statute to be both unreasonable and impolitic. If the power exists to enact a statute that ends the matter so far as the courts are concerned, the adjudged cases in which statutes have been held to be void because unreasonable are those in which the means employed by the legislature were not at all germane to the end to which the legislature was competent. The white race deems itself to be the dominant race in this country, and so it is in prestige, in achievements, in education, in wealth, and in power. So, I doubt not, it will continue to be for all time, if it remains true to its great heritage, and holds fast to the principles of constitutional liberty. But in view of the Constitution, in the eye of the law, there is in this country no superior, dominant, ruling class of citizens. There is no caste here. Our Constitution is color-blind, and neither knows nor tolerates classes among citizens. In respect of civil rights, all citizens are equal before the law. The humblest is the peer of the most powerful. The law regards man as man, and takes no account of his surroundings or of his color when his civil rights, as guaranteed by the supreme law of the land, are involved. It is therefore to be regretted that this high tribunal, the final expositor of the fundamental law of the land, has reached the conclusion that it is competent for a state to regulate the enjoyment by citizens of their civil rights solely upon the basis of race. In my opinion, the judgment this day rendered will, in time, prove to be quite as pernicious as the decision made by this tribunal in the Dred Scott case. It was adjudged in that case that the descendants of Africans who were imported into this country and sold as slaves were not included nor intended to be included under the word citizens in the Constitution, and could not claim any of the rights and privileges which that instrument provided for and secured to citizens of the United States, that, at the time of the adoption of the Constitution, they were considered as a subordinate and inferior class of beings, who had been subjugated by the dominant race, and, whether emancipated or not, yet remained subject to their authority, and had no rights or privileges, but such as those who held the power and the government might choose to grant them. The recent amendments of the Constitution, it was supposed, had eradicated these principles from our institutions. But it seems that we have yet, in some of the states, a dominant race, a superior class of citizens, which assumes to regulate the enjoyment of civil rights common to all citizens upon the basis of race. The present decision, it may well be apprehended, will not only stimulate aggressions more or less brutal and irritating upon the admitted rights of colored citizens, but will encourage the belief that it is possible, by means of state enactments, to defeat the beneficent purposes which the people of the United States had in view when they adopted the recent amendments of the Constitution, by one of which the blacks of this country were made citizens of the United States and of the states in which they respectfully reside, and whose privileges and immunities as citizens the states are forbidden to abridge. Sixty millions of whites are in no danger from the presence here of eight millions of blacks. The destinies of the two races in this country are indissolubly linked together 
and the interests of both require that the common government of all shall not permit the seeds of race hate to be planted under the sanction of law what can more certainly arouse race hate what more certainly create and perpetuate a feeling of distrust between these races than state enactments which in fact proceed on the ground that colored citizens are so inferior and degraded that they cannot be allowed to sit in public coaches occupied by white citizens that as all will admit is the real meaning of such legislation as was enacted in louisiana the sure guarantee of the peace and security of each race is the clear distinct unconditional recognition by our governments national and state of every right that inheres in civil freedom and of the equality before the law of all citizens of the united states without regard to race state enactments regulating the enjoyment of civil rights upon the basis of race and cunningly devised to defeat legitimate results of the war under the pretense of recognizing equality of rights can have no other result than to render permanent peace impossible and to keep alive a conflict of races the continuance of which must do harm to all concerned this question is not met by the suggestion that social equality cannot exist between the white and black races in this country that argument if it can be properly regarded as one is scarcely worthy of consideration for social equality no more exists between two races when traveling in a passenger coach or a public highway than when members of the same races sit by each other in a street car or in the jury box or stand or sit with each other in a political assembly or when they use in common the streets of a city or town or when they are in the same room for the purpose of having their names placed on the registry of voters or when they approach the ballot box in order to exercise the high privilege of voting there is a race so different from our own that we do not permit those belonging to it to become citizens of the united states persons belonging to it are with few exceptions absolutely excluded from our country i allude to the chinese race but by the statute in question a chinaman can ride in the same passenger coach with white citizens of the united states while citizens of the black race in louisiana many of whom perhaps risk their lives for the preservation of the union who are entitled by law to participate in the political control of the state and nation who are not excluded by law or by reason of their race from public stations of any kind or who have all the legal rights that belong to white citizens are yet declared to be criminals liable to imprisonment if they ride in a public coach occupied by citizens of the white race it is scarcely just to say that a colored citizen should not object to occupying a public coach assigned to his own race he does not object nor perhaps would he object to separate coaches for his race if his rights under the law were recognized but he does object and he ought never to cease objecting that citizens of the white and black races can be adjudged criminals because they sit or claim the right to sit in the same public coach on a public highway the arbitrary separation of citizens on the basis of race while they are on a public highway is a badge of servitude wholly inconsistent with the civil freedom and the equality before the law established by the constitution it cannot be justified upon any legal grounds if evils will result from the commingling of the two races upon public highways established for the benefit of all they will be infinitely less than those 
that will surely come from state legislation regulating the enjoyment of civil rights upon the basis of race we boast of the freedom enjoyed by our people above all other peoples but it is difficult to reconcile that boast with a state of the law which practically puts the brand of servitude and degradation upon a large class of our fellow citizens our equals before the law the thin disguise of equal accommodations for passengers in railroad coaches will not mislead anyone nor atone for the wrong this day done the result of the whole matter is that while this court has frequently adjudged and at the present term has recognized the doctrine that a state cannot consistently with the constitution of the united states prevent white and black citizens having the required qualifications for jury service from sitting in the same jury box it is now solemnly held that a state may prohibit white and black citizens from sitting in the same passenger coach on a public highway or may require that they be separated by a partition when in the same passenger coach may it not now be reasonably expected that astute men of the dominant race who affect to be disturbed at the possibility that the integrity of the white race may be corrupted or that its supremacy will be imperiled by contact on public highways with black people will endeavor to procure statutes requiring white and black jurors to be separated in the jury box by a partition and that upon retiring from the courtroom to consult as to their verdict such partition if it be a movable one shall be taken to their consultation room and set up in such way as to prevent black jurors from coming too close to their brother jurors of the white race if the partition used in the courtroom happens to be stationary provision could be made for screens with openings through which jurors of the two races could confer as to their verdict without coming into personal contact with each other i cannot see but that according to the principles this day announced such state legislation although conceived in hostility to and enacted for the purpose of humiliating citizens of the united states of a particular race would be held to be consistent with the constitution i do not deem it necessary to review the decisions of state courts to which reference was made in argument some and the most important of them are wholly inapplicable because rendered prior to the adoption of the last amendments of the constitution when colored people had very few rights which the dominant race felt obliged to respect others were made at a time when public opinion in many localities was dominated by the institution of slavery when it would not have been safe to do justice to the black man and when so far as the rights of blacks were concerned race prejudice was practically the supreme law of the land those decisions cannot be guides in the error introduced by the recent amendments of the supreme law which established universal civil freedom gave citizenship to all born or naturalized in the united states and residing here obliterated the race line from our systems of governments national and state and placed our free institutions upon the broad and sure foundation of the equality of all men before the law i am of opinion that the state of louisiana is inconsistent with the personal liberty of citizens white and black in that state and hostile to both the spirit and letter of the constitution of the united states 
if laws of like character should be enacted in the several states of the union the effect would be in the highest degree mischievous slavery as an institution tolerated by law would it is true have disappeared from our country but there would remain a power in the states by sinister legislation to interfere with the full enjoyment of the blessings of freedom to regulate civil rights common to all citizens upon the basis of race and to place in a condition of legal inferiority a large body of american citizens now constituting a part of the political community called the people of the united states for whom and by whom through representatives our government is administered such a system is inconsistent with the guarantee given by the constitution to each state of a republican form of government and may be stricken down by congressional action or by the courts in the discharge of their solemn duty to maintain the supreme law of the land anything in the constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding for the reason stated i am constrained to withhold my assent from the opinion and judgment of the majority end of part two end of plessy versus ferguson an opinion of the united states supreme court